Psalm 98 says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise. Would you stand with me, church? Let's sing to the King. very warm and sunny morning amen and uh what i was told when i moved to tennessee they promised me as part of my negotiations and things that there was gonna be no more snow ever again in my forecast and uh they're not following through around here so uh but any case i hope that we're prepared for this weekend and what's to come and no i am glad i'm in tennessee and not in wisconsin amen Uh, my son sent a picture of him in iowa and he has snow up to his waist and i said you can have it i don't want it you don't want it around but uh, we're grateful for a warm place to gather and to be together and to also have our hearts warmed by what we've just sung and also the fellowship that we have in christ and with one another let's go to the lord at this time and remembering those that are part of our church family and also ask that you maybe add in prayer 
Uh, Joan and uh, Mike Swanson's daughter-in-law, she had to be taken to the hospital last night due to some complications, not with the pregnancy, but with just her personally. And uh, so it'd be in prayer uh, for her. And then also others that uh, we're praying for. Uh, Sandy Gramacki has uh, been up with her father and uh, he has not been well and uh, very serious condition there. And uh, so be in prayer for him. And then uh, different ones, as uh, we think about Fred, who's not up here this morning, but is recovering well. And he better be watching this morning, or I'll make sure that uh, we talk to him about that. Uh, but at the same time, just grateful for what the Lord is doing and giving him a good recovery. But pray for him. Uh, as we all know, these surgeries are difficult many times to overcome. And then there's some others there that are in our bulletin, and uh, one that's dear to our school family, but also to my heart, uh, is a prayer for Cordero Cummings, uh, a, a teacher, uh, his wife, Mariah, and, uh, but Cordero's father passed away this last week, very unexpectedly, not even 50 years old, and uh, just been a deep devastation to that family. So just ask that you really encourage them. If you know him, just sending a word, but at the same time, be in prayer. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of sickness, uh, people that are just not well, but at the same time just hurt, and there's things going on. Uh, to pray for Scott Staub and uh, his sister. Um, they, uh, her husband had a medical situation, so, you know, got off of a mountain bike out in California and collapsed and uh, went into eternity just this last week. Uh, just things happen, and uh, we never know what it'll look like every week we walk in here who's not going to be here. At the same time, we're grateful for those who do. And we get the opportunity to fellowship together, to encourage one another, and to lift our hearts up to a God who cares, who is the solution for everything eternal, and at the same time, for everything that's here. And so we come to him. Let's go to him at this time. Father, we're grateful for this morning. And Lord, our hearts are heavy. There are things that we, we consider to be areas of life and people within our life that are going through difficult days. And Lord, even our own existence, Lord, there are hardships, there are trials, there are the frustrations. And so, Lord, we come this morning, and Lord, we recognize that for those that are here that are in the midst of great jubilation, I love what your word says, that we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we weep with those who weep. It is the part of life, it is the time to be born, the time to die experience of our existence. And yet, we're grateful for a God that understands that there is more than just what is here. Even though the sun shines and the rivers flow and the seas are not filled up and the, the process starts all over again, each and every day we're reminded that this is not what is the importance, it's about the eternity within our hearts. And so Lord, I pray that you would magnify yourself in our midst this morning. May your word ring true. May it hammer upon our hearts and the areas that we need to grow thereby and to be changed and transformed more and more into the image of Christ. And I pray that, Lord, you would speak as only your spirit can and encourage our hearts. Lord, I'm grateful for the fact that we can have a relationship with you as the God of the universe. And I'm grateful for the ways that you're moving in our midst and moving through our people. And Lord, I pray that as a person that we would truly seek to honor and glorify you in everything that we do and say in our thoughts and our actions, Lord, may we glorify you. May you truly be supreme in everything. Pray for those that are not able to be here, for those that are sick, recovering. Thank you for the health that you've afforded. We pray for the healing and the comfort that you continue to provide. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us rest in these days, not of our toil, because that is not the time yet. We still have work to do here. 
but Lord, that you would help us to find purpose and meaning within our toil. Though we labor, we do not labor in vain, and though we are a part of the task, we do not grow weary of the task. Lord, may we enjoy the fellowship. May we enjoy you today. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
said 
Thank you for this moment that we can, with one voice as one body in Christ, covered in the blood of Christ, ransomed, redeemed, forgiven, loved, known, fully wanted, guilt and shame carried away, it is finished. And Father, we recognize also that the worship doesn't stop when the music ends, but we continue to worship now as your word is opened and preached. We pray together for our pastor that you will fill him with your spirit and give him clarity as he seeks to teach us and serve us this morning. We pray all of these things in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. We're going to start in the book of 1 Corinthians. I'd like you to go there. 1 Corinthians 10 is the Old Testament necessary for a believer of the 21st century? I was thinking about that question as I was thinking about where we're going to end up this morning. And I want to start with a thought that Paul brings to light in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They ate the same spiritual food, drank the same spiritual drink. They were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness. And now these things happen as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and stood up to play and were let us act immorally, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that it does not fall. And then we love, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, provide the way of escape also so that you'll be able to endure it. And then verse 14, my beloved, flee from idolatry. We wouldn't think of that as something that would necessarily apply to us, but it seems to me that Paul from this passage is really indicating that yes, we need the Old Testament. We need the examples that are laid out in it for us even for today. Very similar to what was written in the book of 2 Timothy in chapter 3 where he says in verse 15, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now before we read the rest of that, let's go back to that verse 15. And you'll notice there that He's talking about these sacred writings that from childhood, which by the way is the Old Testament, which is not the New Testament because they hadn't been written yet. 
You ever stop to realize that? And what's also interesting about this is who do they point to? They point to Christ. Because then in verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. Scripture, which includes even the Old Testament as the power to change our way of thinking. It's meant to demonstrate the very mind of God in understanding these things. And we find is that it prepares us to deal with our human nature, even as the man of God, or as he's referring to the person that belongs to God, is needing to be taught, to be reproved, which is an interesting word because of the same word that John uses in John chapter 16, referring to the work of the Holy Spirit, and then brought to the correct activity in line with correct theology. This is something that we are looking to. And with that in mind, what I want to do this morning is I'd like for us to go to the Old Testament and to a passage in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. I want to examine something that God left for us as an example, something that could help us examine our lives and to see ourselves and to think about something that God has given to us under inspiration by the very scribes that uh, record these events in 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Kings now, chapter 17. This morning I'd like to talk about the story of a prophet, a bird, a widow, and a drought. And thinking about what we read in 1 Kings, chapter 17. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to him saying, go away from here and turn eastward. Hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And it shall be you will drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. And so he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. And it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. And behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. And so he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please get me a little water in a jar that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread. Only a handful of flour in a bowl, and a little oil in the the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I might go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And after you may make one for yourself and for your son, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. And so she went and did according to the word of Elijah and she and he 
and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. Father, I pray that as we read, as we hear, as we take in and consider in our minds, as we visualize, as we see, that Lord, that your spirit, through the inspiration of your word, through the power that it possesses, may it truly begin to do a work in us to see ourselves and to see you, to know our place, to know your purpose, more importantly, to know your plan and your power because of what it is that you have done to us and through us because of the person of Jesus Christ. And so magnify yourself in our time here this morning. May we be humbled and may you be exalted. And it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. You know, you you open this story and you are quickly introduced to a brand new character in the storyline. Now for us that know our Bibles, this is an old character, Elijah. But this is a person who comes on the scene in this very first glimpse of him from a city that even to this day, scholars don't even really know where it's at. They can't find it. And we have some other characters and there's some other people behind the story. There's a wicked king by the name of Ahab who is allowing extreme idolatry uh, to run rampant within his kingdom. He had married a woman for political reasons, but just as it had with Solomon, it had brought about a, a real change, a pursuit of these foreign gods, a pursuit of passions that were in contradiction to what God had deemed right and holy. The God called Baal or Baal had been brought into something that was full observance within the, the upper 10 tribes, the northern tribes of Israel. And as a one commentator by the name of Paul House noted, he said, the issue is not that Israel wanted to necessarily reject Yahweh and choose Baal, but rather to serve them both. Baal was the Phoenician storm god. As one writer notes, Baal worshipers believe that their god made rain, which is quite important as a detail in a very agricultural community. Now it's interesting because that's gonna be significant even more so when you get to chapter 18, when God asks Elijah to gather all the prophets of Baal upon top of Mount Carmel and they're going to have a contest. And what was the contest? Which God can send the rain? That's the important question. Now, all of that is really put into place, put into motion. It's preempted here in this prologue of our understanding as we think about what it is that God is doing to set things up. But he has to get people in the right place. He's got to get them in the right order of things. And so he puts Ahab on notice and thinking about what is going to happen, that God himself is not going to allow rain until The power of God demonstrates it. And that's exactly what this message is about. God will not share his glory with another. In Psalm 115 and verse 1, it's not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving kindness and because of your truth. 
or later after these events when Isaiah would come upon the scene and God would write to Isaiah in 42 verse 8, he says, I am the Lord and that is my name. I will not give my glory to another nor my praise to graven images. And so we find this and with the the clear battle lines that are drawn between the so-called God of storms and the one true God of heaven, we have a quite dramatic stage that's kind of being set here and prepared for our story. And with God's glory being challenged, we see that God establishes some other points within the events leading up to that big confrontation that's going to happen in chapter 18. The story of 1 Kings 17 takes an unknown upstart prophet by the name of Elijah and plants him in front of a wicked king by the name of Ahab. And the edict is that it will not rain until Elijah says so. And someone noted that Elijah apparently prays for a drought to prove that Yahweh, not Baal, is in charge of crop enriching rains. And so we come to act one of the story. God tells Elijah to head east across the Jordan. And there's going to be a brook over there, and God tells Elijah the provisions are going to be made for him. There's going to be these ravens, these scavengers, and morning and evening it tells us that bread and meat are provided, and this brook here, this brook Cherith, is going to be his source of water. My dad used to preach for this passage, and this passage always has been one of my favorites. And this story of how God used this prophet to come and to confront this king, to do all these things. But my dad uh, used to really love to share the story. And I can remember him saying, you know, said, he says, I can imagine. Here comes the raven in. He brings his two eggs and he side up with, uh, you know, there's some, uh, uh, some biscuits and gravy and uh, probably some grits on the side. But then my dad would embellish the story a little bit more and say, and then he also brought hot coffee, two creams, and sugar and blowed. And he said that was the other part. But I knew that part wasn't true because it's not in the story, all right? But what about supper? You know, I don't know. Was it a little side of mutton? You know, a little side of some other, you know, biscuits or something along that line? What is it? And this thing is, the point is, is that God provided for his prophet. He took care of him. The issue is that God was continuing to affirm his dominance over creation. But then the brook dries up. Uh Uh-oh. Was that an oversight? Did God just maybe fall asleep? Maybe he got a little distracted. Maybe he had to take a journey and go someplace else and he kind of lost track of leaving somebody to watch over Elijah here by the brook. Was it a lack of attention? But Elijah waits. And what is Elijah waiting for? It's interesting that Elijah waits on the Lord to again give his word. He does not leave the brook to find his own path. He knew that it was God's word that had brought him to this location, and it would be God's word that would take him to the next. And in this, we find a humble servant that was willing to listen to and to hold on to and hold dear to the natural revelation as well as to the written expression of God. And that's the things that what we find is that from God's word and what he's waiting on, God reveals himself. And there's two primary ways he does it, two forms of revelation. First of all, it's in the natural existence. And God reveals himself within the construction of his own genius and his own design, the creation itself. 
Paul used this understanding in Romans 1 when he says in verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. God uses nature to illustrate, to bring to light, to give awareness of the power to create that still stumps the most intelligent of human minds. But God did not leave it to just nature. God has a second form of revelation and that is the word expressed. You see, God did not just leave us guessing. He has made sure to have his clear words told into the hearing of mankind to have them penned, to have them written down, so that you and I in many ways can hold God accountable to his very word. And God holds himself accountable to what he has written and what he has invested, what he has divested to us, so that we can know without a doubt what God has intended. The danger, though, is not listening. The danger is slicing it and making the parts that we like what we hold on to instead of the sum total of him. James picks up on this in James 1 where he says in verse 21, therefore putting aside all of our filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror for once. He has looked at himself and gone away. He has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. God's word is a complete revelation. And we are to be aware of it in its totality. And as God speaks through Elijah, God is confirming his commands that he already has given. And the idol worshipers were not willing to heed. And so God sends his word again to Elijah. And that brings us then to act two of the story. Go to a town called Zarephath in Sidon. I have commanded a widow woman to take care of you. Now, if you notice back in verse 4 again, interesting how he uses that expression as well. Look at verse 4 where he says, It shall be that you'll have the, the drink at the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. And notice in verse 9, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. Now, you know, oftentimes we don't really struggle with God having control over birds, do we? But a widow woman? You ever realize, though, that we are just as much a part of God's creation as the birds? No, no, hold on. We're different, but we are created beings. You see, that's the rub. Ever since back in the Garden of Eden, when a satanic little imp whispered into the minds and the hearts of his creation, God's creation. And Satan planted there a question and a doubt. And what was it he brought doubt to? Has God said? And then the understanding of their place and their position within the creation, that you will be like God, which was never our place. You know, it's hard for us to think about it in the sense that God can easily control the ravens, but sometimes when we leave it up to humanity, we fail to appreciate that God is just as capable of orchestrating the affairs of life as he can even with nature itself. What's interesting about this, though, is that it doesn't appear that the the widow had ever gotten the command edict. You know, you read the story, and I love how the 
the writing of this goes. He goes to Zarephath in verse 10. He comes to the gate and there's a widow woman. Now, I don't really understand all the cultural applications and implications. There, there seems to have been some ways that they identified themselves, whether it was by their garb or whether it was some other way. But he knew emphatically this is a widow woman. And he strikes up a conversation with her. He noticed what she's doing. She's out gathering sticks. Please give me a little water in a jar. Okay, now, water is scarce. Okay, but you know, it's the most basic fundamental part of living. So she's willing to do this. It's very part of their culture. It's a customary thing. She, he's using everything within culture. Even the asking of food is very much tied to their culture. It's not out of line. It's not necessarily in any way an insult. Even everything he's asking that it be done for him first as a, as a prophet of God, as one who is recognized in their culture as a man of recognition, he should have been getting things first. But she's not having it. I don't have anything. I don't have enough. Okay, water's one thing, but food? That's scarce. In fact, it's so scarce that I just have enough in my little, little jar here a bowl that I'm going to make a little cake, eat it, and die. Boy, this sounds really optimistic, doesn't it? You know, it's interesting how he finds her. There's no greeting. There's no welcome at the door. She's out picking up sticks. You know, some have said maybe that's just because there's not enough fuel. I think it had to do with the fact that she didn't eat a very big fire. She didn't have a whole lot to cook. So why do you need a very big fire? Basically, all she had was a little oil, a little flour, and basically what she was going to do was make a pancake. They were ready to die. It doesn't sound like she's real excited about another mouth to feed. But God had commanded. Sure doesn't appeal that way, does it? Elijah gives room to her wish but he asked her to demonstrate some faith. It was not selfish on the part of, desi- of, of Elijah's you know, desires here. The, this is the custom again. And then he says in verse 13, do not fear. You know, I can imagine as a widow woman with a son, if you read the rest of the story, which I didn't read, it sounds like he's a pretty young son. She has a responsibility of her household There are those that she cares for and she's not capable of doing so. There's been a drought in the land. Hey, have you not heard? (laughs) Yeah, it's my fault. There's not been rain. And without rain, there's no crops. We've been able to scrape by. We've been able to harvest some. We've been able to use what we can. This is all we have. Don't fear. Do not be afraid. I love what he says in here in verse 13. He gives her something to hold on to. You can go do what you're saying you're going to do. I'm not going to stop you. But let me put a possibility in front of you. What if you trust that the word I'm about to tell you is something that comes as God has said, that that flower will never run out, that oil will never run dry, and that you will have what you need until the Lord again sends rain and there is a crop. Can you trust me? 
Thinking about it in that way, he says in verse 14, I guarantee that when you go to make that last cake, you're going to find that there's still enough. The flour is not going to run out. The oil will never be empty. And this is how you're going to find it each and every time you need to go and make a meal for us. And I love the faith of this woman because she does it. Now, let's not judge her too deeply, though. I'm not really sure if it's, you know, out of genuine faith as much as it's probably more out of desperation or maybe out of a sense of what she had come to realize is what else does she have to lose at this point. But the power of the word of God and the confidence in that word was enough. And the beautiful thing about the story is that verse 16 tells us, and it came to pass. And it's not a, they lived happily ever after. It's a segment of the story of our existence. It's the existence of our lives as we trust the word of God, as we take it in and we live it out by faith, being the doers of the word of God. It's not that there's gonna be an abundance. You know, the thing about this story, and this is sometimes a misconstrued aspect, is that the promise here is not that the jar, the bowl will always be full, but that the bowl will always have enough. It becomes like a manna experience again for the widow woman. It's an understanding that every time she went back to make another meal, there's flour in the bowl. Every time she tipped the ladle of the oil, there was always that oil in the ladle. There's always enough. And all of it is because of an absolute confidence in the word of God. The power of his word. And so what are our takeaways today? What can we glean from a story like this in an Old Testament setting, in a part in a time where the word of God was... (laughs) I mean, you could take your Bible and cut it in about a third, and that's what they had. And yet such a confidence in his word. Number one is this, that God will not share his glory with anything or anyone. You've got to catch that. This whole passage, this whole leading up, even to chapter 18 and chapter 19 and following, God will not share his glory with anyone or anything And that understanding is a prerogative of his. He is God. He doesn't take pieces of himself and lend it to someone. Pieces of himself and lend it to something else. He is who he is. The sum total, the expression of what it means to be God, he is it. He's not a substitute or a similar being. And God is not one of the collection. No, you cannot collect the whole set. God is God. One of the greatest dangers we have in our modern age is to forget the very realization that we are a created being. That because of our relationship with Christ, he has brought us into a unique position, but it never changes the full sum of the identity of who he is. He is God. We love it when we get the cute and cuddly fuzzy side of him. But sometimes when God exerts himself in a demonstrative way, we step back and we grow fearful. No, we shouldn't. We should embrace it. 
because that is who he is. He has the power, he has the authority, he has the full right, because that is who he is, and therefore he will not lend it to anything else, so that there is no idol that should be present in our hearts or our minds or in our lives or in any way positioning ourselves in front of something else or someone else that we strip the glory of God and give it to something else. God will not share his glory. Second of all, God's word is the supreme authority. We live in a day, I have a software program called Logos, which I love dearly. I've got probably close to 2,000 volumes of information and books stored on that one piece of software. There will never be a way in possibility they'll ever read all of those books. I've got probably 700 more, if not 1,000 more books sitting. Uh, well, they're not all on the bookshelves. They're still tucked away in boxes in the shower in the office. Um, you know, there, I have all this wealth. And then you go into Barnes and Nobles, the great bastion of fundamental conservative theology, right? Uh, you go into any bookstore and this, all of these wonderful, you go online and, and you, you can find unbelievable amounts of information. But this is the book. You see, a pastor stands in this place and he preaches. And if I, as a pastor, I preach anything contrary or in contradiction or add or diminish, my trustworthiness is gauged on how much of an integrity I hold to what this book says. For our church and for our lives and for our individual walks, we hold to this as the source, the primary source for life and practice. Not pastor so-and-so, author so-and-so, Dr. Doodledigger and E. Flucy Fluffyhead doesn't matter. It is the point as what does the word of God say? And not the parts that you like. It's all of it. You can't kick some of it out and reinterpret the others just because it doesn't fit your theology. It is the sum total expression of his word. And yes, there are hard things in here. Why? Because he's God. And that's the beauty of having a spirit that lives inside of us that does teach us, who does come along. And just as we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it teaches us, it rebukes us. It convinces us of what his word says that's true when the rest of the world and even some great theological minds want to contradict or create some niche, some little fancy way of reinventing God's word. No, we take it at what God has said. There's so many voices and so many called scholars to the point where we've got so many who now think they're the new prophets. And so many are taking the parts that they like and not accepting the whole. Do not twist it, do not cut it, do not delete it, and do not manage it. Let God speak and we heed his word. Wait on it. Rest in it. Trust it. The third, God orchestrates our lives to bring about the greatest opportunities to give him glory. You know, I was thinking about this passage and what really stood out to me is the sense that as we come in, God is going to do battle with an idol. 
But remember, the idol doesn't really exist. It's the inclinations of man's heart that says, I need to have something other than the one true God. And so I create and I fashion. I grab hold of a segment of something that scares me. Storms scare me. Drought scares me. And so I create a God that can somehow be over that. And if I can appease that God and get that God off my back so I can go live like I want to live. The beautiful thing about our God is that he loves us. And he does everything that's good for us. Sometimes I don't like it. Because it didn't jive with my plans. God messed with my day. Yeah. But that's the orchestrating power of God. Because why? He's God. And I am not. So you ever thought about your day inside of God's plan? That when someone interrupts, knocks on your door? Uh, excuse me? that maybe that's exactly what God needed in your life? Oh, I know I'm valuable to them, but do you realize how valuable they are to you? In all of this passage, we see that there are choices. Even when he says he has commanded the widow woman, it is in a sense that there is a stronger urging within the responsive nature of a seedling of faith that's grounded in something that is bigger than herself, but yet she is struggling. But there are choices. You see, Ahab could have followed God because he had all the prophets, he had the law, he had every instruction that God had deemed necessary for that generation to know, to show them the way, the truth, and the life that was sufficient to see and reveal faith in the object of God's word and the plan that God had revealed in that moment in time. And by faith, they're trusting in that. But Ahab made a choice. He chose to follow the alternatives. Elijah had a choice. He could have been like so many who simply ignored the message and lived a quiet life, removed from all of the confrontation, the threats, even to his own life. He could have stayed on the eastern side of the Jordan, never even entered into this hemisphere of tribulation. The widow woman had a choice. She could have even chosen differently for her son. She could have refused and eaten that last meal in the, the bowl and accepted her end. And yet the end is not about a king. It's not about a prophet. It's not about a single widow woman and her son. The end is about God proving to a people that he is not like, he is not lesser, nor is there even another God that exists. God is the one the true, the only worthy of our worship, of our value system. He's the only one worthy. And today, we as well make choices. We choose to live our lives either in submission to the reality of God as truly our God, or we live as if we are independent of him. We choose. We choose to promote our own versions or the one that he has established within his word. We choose whether we will submit to his word or seek to distort it, recreate it, or simply diminish it by only accepting the parts that fit with our version of God and what we want to believe. So what will you choose? To live to the glory of God or to create God for your glory? And then we will only be able to live 
within the circumstances of this life and the difficulties that come based upon our view of that God. We will know what sin is. And we will be able to rebuke it because we can decry it, we can call it what it is because it is contrary to the very character of God. But it's only because we live in a harmony with God's glory. We all make choices each day to either glorify ourselves or the one who made us, who loves us, and the one who chose to even die for us so that one day we could be welcomed into his glory. So let me ask you this. How will your story be told? All of us are in one act or another of God bringing us into places of our life in our journey. And perhaps you're here this morning and you have never been confronted with the reality that there is truly a God, let alone the God. Or maybe it's coming into this relationship and you have had all this information. You've grown up in this sphere. And yet you're still struggling with holding on to God and yet not desiring attributes and qualities that really make it where you choose to want to not give up God. I mean, heaven forbid. I mean, yeah, you're going to come to church and you're going to still sing songs and, you know, you'll, you'll still probably even given the offering plate, but boy, this over here. And so it's not that I want to give up God. I just, I just kind of like to have both of them together. When was the last time you really read his word to understand his word in your life? When was the last time that you had a decision in front of you and you sought his word to find out what does God care about this choice in my life? What is your story? What does this say about God? Less about you and more about him. Whose glory are you living for? Whose empire are you trying to build? So what's your story? Hey, do you know God as your God? Is he the savior of your soul? Is his glory your glory? Is he what you live for? Is he truly the expression of hope and life and joy? Is it still an attempt to make him happy? Are you still trying your best? Just get him off your back instead of embracing him as life. What's your story? Is there a struggle in your heart? Is there something that you need help with? Is there an area that is contradictory to the character of Christ? And you can't seem to get victory in that area. Then before you leave today, talk to somebody. Get help. Let's work together for the glory of God. Let's stand together for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you allow the expression of our life to be the expression of your living in us. That we would truly be people that are transformed into the glory of Christ, the expression of your image, transformed from what was, made that new creation. Day by day, you're restoring us, renewing us, and bringing us into an opportunity just to model you because of our hope in you, our victory in you, the promise of joy that's found only in a relationship with you. 
And Lord, for that life that's here today that doesn't know you as their God, I pray that today they'd recognize how significant and truly important you are to their existence. Open their eyes of understanding so they can hear what your word says, that though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you are the one who gives us life. Lord, I pray that we would find the forgiveness that we need in you. And those of us that know you as our savior, we know the completion of the story. We know the rest of how this works and that everything was pointing to the person and the work of Jesus Christ who comes not as an idol, not as a portion, but as God himself, visible and plain. Lord, how you gave everything for us. You gave your very life so that we could have life. Lord, in none of this, there is an attempt to do, to earn it, but Lord, there's every attempt to now express it. Lord, we're grateful, and we live out of a heart of gratitude that the God of the universe would become so close and so dear that you would even take up residence by your spirit within us. Lord, thank you for being that God. And though the storms may come, It's not out of fear that we embrace them. Lord, we know that there is something that you're doing for your glory and for our good. And so we run to you. Lord, I pray that we would truly see you as the one and only, without substitution, without comparison. And that in your word, you give to us what we need to live life to its fullest here and also to anticipate what will be even fuller, complete, when we stand with you, live with you, dwell with you for all of eternity. Thank you for being that God and help us to write our stories well. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.
just a moment. Morning, church. Uh, my name's Steve Gilmore. I'm the youth director here, and I just have a few announcements uh, before we head out to the discipleship hour and the fellowship time. The fellowship time will be right through those doors and go straight back to the fellowship hall. Uh, tonight, uh, we'll be having an informational meeting after uh, youth group. We have our youth meeting here uh, on Sunday evenings, and we'll have an informational meeting about the uh, Alaska trip. Now, this is not just uh, for our teens. We're t hoping to take three groups this year, June 2nd through the 9th, and so we're trying to take a bigger group. So if you're interested in what that, all the information details about that, uh, come back tonight at 7.15. We will meet right up here uh, for a brief informational meeting. Uh, applications and all that are going to be due in the next couple weeks so we can work on booking our airfare. Um, also, you know that looks like uh, we, we do a lot of fundraising for this. So if you have yard projects or anything you need help with this spring, let us know. Uh, we're always uh, looking to get going on that. Uh, also, there is an uh, opportunity this summer to send your young uh, person to camp. Uh, Pastor Adam and I and some others are working on some details. So more details about that coming for camp this summer. Uh, on January 28th, we have our annual business meeting, and that is going to take place back in the fellowship hall. We're going to kind of do a meal type thing, so be looking at the uh, um, bulletin for more details about that in the future. That's on uh, January 28th. Uh, we also have a lot of other information in the bulletin here, a map as well uh, for where classes and all that are located. If you uh, have any other questions about what's in the, uh, uh, just talk to Pastor Kelly, Pastor Adam, myself. We would love to help you. Uh, we've got a lot of deadlines for signups and things in the bulletin, uh, baby dedication, um, different things in the bulletin, discipleship class, sign up. So any of those connections, uh, you can go out to the connection table as well. We would love to help you. Um, hope you have a great rest of the day, and we'll see you back here uh, for fellowship time. Thank you.